Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness because it is, it is by your grace that we are kept alive today. Father, be thou exalted in the name of Jesus. Lord, even as we open your word today, Father, we ask that you come and fellowship with us in the name of Jesus. Teach us by yourself. Let your word, Father, find fertile soil in our hearts in the name of Jesus. We ask that, Lord God, that you make our bones sing, while the Father, with your grace and with your praise in the name of Jesus. We ask that, Lord God, even as we read this word, that it will be an enrichment and an encouragement for us in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask that, Lord God, you imbue me with your spirit and you use me, Father, as a willing vessel to be a proclaimer of your word in the name of Jesus. That, Lord God, everything that I shall say shall, pro shall proceed from your mouth in the name of Jesus. That I would not be ruled by a sense of self in the name of Jesus. And who are going to hear my voice this evening, that Lord, your hand will be upon them in the name of Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. So today we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, we have been doing a proverb a day for a while, and that has been fun, it has been exciting, but now it's going to take a bit of a, a hiatus. Uh, it's going to be at the back burner for a little while. And we will be starting a new series today, which we call Exploring Joshua. So, if you've had any experience with this fellowship and this church, you, you would know that we like exploring things. We are, we are deep sea divers. We like to explore, you know, looking for hidden treasure. It's our thing. So, this time, with the, the amazing richness of, you, will I say, underground you know, caves and treasure chambers that we're going to be looking into is the book of Joshua. And the topic for today is called Be Strong, Be Courageous. Our root scripture is going to be taken from the book of Joshua, chapter 1. The, entire, the entirety of Joshua, chapter 1. So if you can, I'd like to read that very quickly so that we just go through it. It's 18 verses, so I'm going to try and speed up my reading. So I would like us all to, you know, turn there so that we'll be able to follow along. Are we there? Joshua chapter 1. Okay? I, will, I read. The Bible says, Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all these people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall be not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Amen. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper with whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, 
but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Then Joshua commanded the people of, commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God had given you rest, and had given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor, and help them. Unto the Lord have given your brethren rest, as he had given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side, Jordan, towards the sun rising. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandments and will not hearken unto thy words, in all that thou commandest him he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Amen. Amen. So, that was, um, it wasn't a lot. It was actually just 18 verses. So, it's not like we read too much. But it was important for me to go through everything so that we can look at some of these points one by one. Now, the first thing that we would notice is this. Moses, the servant of the Lord, was dead. Something interesting is, the term servant of the Lord was not applied to Moses' name until after his death. Which was fascinating because it showed that it was a proof that Moses had indeed walked with God and he wasn't, you know, some kind of false person or the other. But that was just an aside. Speaking about Joshua, it was very clear that Joshua had some very big shoes to fill. This was Moses who, for all intents and purposes, was the very first president of Israel. And unlike Saul, who was the first king of Israel, it wasn't as if Moses had done really well. You know, Moses had done really well by the one mistake that he made. But however, beyond all things, when all is said and done, Moses' name is always remembered for good and for great things that he did in the name of the Lord. And so, Joshua had some very big shoes to fill. And if you look at verse, um, between verse 1 and verse 5, God was talking about what he was expecting that Joshua would do. He said that they were to cross the Jordan to go to the other side where they were going to go and deal with Jericho. Now, you have to consider that during this time when Joshua was speaking, the river Jordan usually used to overflow its banks. So it wasn't even just the normal, like it's bad enough that you have to cross a river, but now it's like a raging river and then it becomes, you know, a problem. And then he had to lead these Israelite people who uh, Moses had struggled to deal with. Struggled to deal with in the sense that, not like he wasn't effective, he was, but there were people who had always given him grief. You know, the Israelites had grieved Moses 
a lot on several occasions. And Joshua had to deal with these people. And then you also had to consider the enemies that he had to face because he was going into a hostile land whereby people did not, were not fans of the Israelites. And that is the case even to this very day. People are not fans of the Israelites. So Joshua had a lot to contend with. Now, Joshua was called the assistant of Moses or the minister. He said Moses' minister. The first time that we come across that title is in the book of Exodus chapter 24, verse 13. Um, and I'll just turn there really briefly to just... Exodus 24, verse 13, where the Bible says, And Moses rose up, rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up to the mount of God. That was the first time Joshua was called the minister of Moses. It was not the first time he was mentioned in Scripture because he had been mentioned earlier, but it was the first time that he was being called the minister of Moses. Now, for a lot of people, you might look at that and think to yourself that it's like Moses was, I mean, it's like Joshua was plucked out of obscurity, like, this person that no one, you know, might have really thought about. Because when you think of Moses, you know, there were 70 elders that had rose up with, um, that he had lifted up and so on and so forth. And you might think to yourself that there was a succession plan. Perhaps it might have been one of those people, but it was Joshua. However, just because Joshua was, for all intents and purposes, plucked out of obscurity, does not mean that Joshua was not a man with antecedents. And what I mean by antecedents is the fact that we had seen from Scripture that Joshua had been someone who had, who had a heart for God and who had walked with the Lord. For instance, if we look at the book of Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, we find a passage that talks about the faithfulness of Joshua. The Bible says, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So Joshua was a man who was willing to stay in the presence of God for as long as it took. And we find that this was not just Joshua trying to curry favor, it was his he, it was his being. Because if we move further, if we read um, Joshua chapter 7, where um, the Israelites failed to capture Ai because of the sin of Achan, you would find that when, when, they, when he went before the Ark of Covenant of God, the Bible tells us that he buried his face into the, into the ground and he was there till evening. You know? So it shows us that this is a man who was always ready to be in God's presence and to do God's will. God always works with leaders. The idea of leadership is a biblical and a godly one. For, and the reason I mention that is because there are, some, there are some times in which, as Christians, we might be tempted to fall into this idea that, you know, oh, we are all one in Christ, so because of that, you know, we're all the exact same people and everything. And while God loves us all the same and while God has united all of us the same, the reality is that from the very beginning, God has always appointed leaders over people. So, for instance, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells them we find that the crea um, God created the heavens and the earth. And in chapter 2, he created Adam. And when he created Adam, he set Adam as the leader of the entire creation. So, and so on and so forth. Because if we look through history, we would find that God always picked leaders whom to lead his people. 
all of that was a preamble. The first thing that we would then talk about is, the Bible, he says that he should be strong and courageous. Now, the reason we give all of that preamble is, the main points that we're trying to draw out is the fact that Joshua had big shoes to fill. And he had a huge job in front of him. And this is paralleled with our lives today, where, wherein God, the things that God has in store for us to do are always wilder than our imagination. That's a fact. And if we look at, if we look through history, if we look through the Bible, we will find that every time God puts a task in front of an individual, it was generally too big for they themselves to handle. So, for instance, let's even start from the very beginning. Look at Adam. Adam was set that, okay, be the head, essentially, of all creation. And as just a man, you think to yourself that, how? But because of the Spirit of God within him, that's what made Adam be able to rise to the occasion and be able to be a leader of all of creation. Look at Noah, for instance. You think Noah woke up one morning and was thinking to himself that, you know what, I'm going to build an ark so big that it's going to have all the animals in this life, male and female, and I'll put it inside. Like, in terms of human ambition, it's not something that Noah will have woken up to say, yes, this is what I'm going to do myself today. No. Or should we talk about someone like David, who tending his father's sheep? Do you think at any point in time he was tending his father's sheep and saying, ah, someday, someday I shall be the king of all of Israel, of all of God's people, it's me. Ah, and then practice, practice with the lion and the bear and stone the lion and say, ah, ta, that's how I'm going to kill God's enemies. Ha, ha, ha. No. You know? All, if we look at the New Testament, think of someone like Peter or Paul. You know? Peter was the apostle to the Jews. But at the same time, he was the first one who broke the seal in terms of relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. That for someone, an illiterate man, who, you know, if he had asked Peter when he was five years old, oh, Peter, what, are, what do you want to be in future? He'd have told you, fisherman. Oh, okay, what's your, what's your five-year plan? What's your ten-year plan? Well, I hope that someday I would, uh, I will catch a huge load of fish, and then, you know, I'll be able to sell it, and we'll have plenty of money, and me and my wife will be able to buy and co, and we'll be able to take care of ourselves and have some fun. That probably would have been it. Prompt have gone past that, you know. From the level he was, he couldn't have said, oh, I'm going to be a Pharisee when I grow up. Of course not, because he wasn't in that class to begin with. But that was what God put in front of him. Even Paul, who was a very educated person, highly qualified for all intents and purposes. The, the Bible tells us when, um, Paul, um, when Paul was writing, he said that, uh, of, that if, he had, if there was anyone who had something to boast of, it was him. He said that in the book of Philippians that he, he was like a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was one who was blameless in the eyes of the law, all of these things. He was highly qualified, but on a normal human scale, there's no way he will have done all that he did in terms of the gospel that he carried to the Gentile world. Humans can have big plans, but God's plans are always bigger. And from that point of view, it means that, generally speaking, from a human standpoint, they are impossible to carry out. That means we need something. We need something a little extra to carry it out. 
And that is where the concept of strength and courage comes in. Strength and courage. So the main thrust of this first chapter of the book of Joshua talks about the times in which God was speaking to Joshua. And if you read that passage, you would notice that God said to Joshua on three separate occasions that be strong and of good courage. Said it on three separate occasions. We have it first and foremost in verse 6 where the Bible says, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto your fathers to give them. Again in verse 7 he said, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And finally, in verse 9, it says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So we find three occasions in which God was speaking to Joshua and told him that he needed to be strong and of a good courage. And if we start to examine those situations, we'll find that there were subtle differences in the context of each one, some of which, um, all of which we will go over in this teaching. But before that, we have to talk about strength and courage. Essentially, what are they? What is strength? What is courage? Uh, if you remember, I remember taking a... I remember taking one of these, a Wednesday Bible study, where we talked about strength and courage. And we talked about good courage and bad courage. Uh, if I remember correctly, we spoke about strength. And when we define strength from a dictionary standpoint, it was the state of being powerful, of being able to withstand certain pressure and stress. And on the other hand, we also define courage as being able to do something that normally would make you afraid or something that would make you fearful, being able to handle it in certain situations. That's what we call courage. Now, with all of that said, we look around and it is clear that the, with the way the word strength and courage are used and with the way it has, the fact that it's even defined in dictionary and all of those kind of things is that there must be different types and that teaching one of the things i mentioned is that we had human courage we had human strength so that strength might come from the simple fact that you know someone is gymming all the time or something or the other there's a there's a show that uh, we've been watching recently that is a korean show about you know um very different strong men a hundred strong men or strong men because it's not, it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not excluding any gender. But like, a hundred strong men and women doing different tasks and all of that kind of thing. And I mean, all of these people, they're all strong. Ah, if you see their profiles, this one, this one is a crossfitter. This one is a MMA fighter. This one is a Olympic. There were at least five or six Olympic people, if not more, you know, that either represented their country or one thing or the other. All of them were strong people. And they all put all of them where you have been competing against each other in different games. And it was so fascinating to watch. And I was watching, I was like, well, man, these people are strong. One of the tasks, they told them that, okay, move a two-ton uh, a two-ton ship. 
you know, a ship that was made and it, was, it weighed two tons. And I think there were about 10 of them or so thereabouts that were expected to push it from one point to the other. And I was sitting down there watching, <laughs> wow, you guys are strong. And they're all really strong. They're all straining and straining. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. But that's human strength. And then human courage, we see it all the time too. When they say a firefighter, you know, he went uh, into the fire, he went to go and save people, all of us are there saying, oh wow, what a courageous man, what an amazing thing to do. ETC, ETC, all of that is great. However, when it comes to doing the things of God, human strength and human courage don't cut it. They are impossible because at the end of the day, they are always beyond the realm of the person who is doing it. Take, for instance, one of the scriptures that we have there, which is 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20, tells us about um, the story of David and Solomon. And the Bible says, it says, And David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. This was when Moses was about to build the temple of God. And yet, here was David telling him to be strong and of good courage. And if you were to examine that statement, one of the first things that might come to mind is, but he's a king. Right? Like, he's a king. So if he's a king... And knowing what we know about kings in ancient times, this is not something that should have needed any, in quotes, strength or courage. Because for all he, he could do and undo. He could say, oh, I want this and it should be done. He could say, oh, bring me this and it should be brought. Because he's a king, he has that authority. However, David was still telling him that he should, be, he should be strong and of good courage, which tells us that this thing that he was undertaking was not something that he could have done with any human strength, not even kingly strength. He couldn't have done it, especially not to the glory and splendor that it was. There are many human beings that have built what many will call amazing edifices. You know, we hear about the seven wonders of the world, of the ancient world, of the modern world, of the whatever, of the whatever, all of those kind of things. But I believe with all of my heart that all of these things paled in comparison to Solomon's temple. And the reason I believe that so strongly is very simple. is the fact that one of them is a God-backed project and the other was not, or the others were not. That's the reason. That's all. I have no other basis for that belief but that. That one was done by God, one was done with God's hand and God's blessing, while the others were not. Therefore, it tells me that that project must have been ridiculous. At an angle in which we could not even have begun, begun to think about or imagine. But here, Solomon did it. Why? Because he was strong and of good courage. But, where does this strength and good courage come from? Because, I said that Solomon was strong and of good courage. But then where did it come from? Because, it did not just appear out of thin air. You know? When we talk about strength and courage, some... And it's very interesting because sometimes you would hear stories of people who would tell you that they just got a burst of strength in a certain situation or they got a burst of courage in a certain situation. I vaguely remember an encounter I had in primary school where, you know, 
primary school, we being the playful children that we were, I believe we were in primary four, we're having a, um, we're having an intra-school war, would I say, between the primary four class, the primary five class, and the primary six class. So during that time, during break time, break time was a dangerous time. It was a time of redness and living dangerously. You know, people were losing life, limb, and possessions. I'm, I'm only kidding, it wasn't that. But the idea was that during break time, we all just came out and it was a free for all. All primary four students were fighting all primary six students, all primary, uh, they were fighting all primary five students, and for whatever reason, I don't even understand, I can't even remember what caused it. Probably an altercation between one class and the other in some way or some fashion. But however, there was a day, uh, there was a particular break time, and I, I wanted, I was walking in one tunnel, small tunnel kind of thing that we had in school. It was very short, very small, and everything. <laughs> very interesting, I'm thinking about it. I think I saw that tunnel when last I walked in front of the school one of those days, but I can't remember. It was a long time ago. I'm an old man. But, you know, as I walked through it, I was accosted by these two primary six students, and they're like, ah, you're primary four, and then they started to beat me up, and then they went, you know, and I was there, and I was, you know, and I felt weak. One of them was sitting on my head. The other one was, like, trying to, like, kick me in the stomach and everything, and suddenly I just felt one strength that I didn't even know where it came from, and I, I literally, and I kid you not, uh, even though you might not want to trust the memory of uh, a seven-year-old, but I lifted the guy that was above me and I tossed him, and it was it was so weird because they got up and like they ran because two other guys from primary four at that moment saw and ran towards me to join the fight, and these people ran away and everything. And each time I kept thinking, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? And so sometimes we think about those kinds of things, but. Uh, we find that he has only one source, and that source is in God himself, God Almighty. God Almighty. So one of the things that we would notice is that every time the strength and courage was spoken about, it was spoken about in relation to something. There was a general thread that joined these three things together. And it was one thing, obedience. Obedience to God. Because you see, the thing about strength and courage is this. The strength and courage of God is conditional. Like with a lot of things that involve God, it's very conditional. It's conditional on our obedience. Anybody can be strengthened and given courage by God. But then, it is always premised on the obedience of the person. It's always premised on the obedience of the person. So, everything that God said here, everything that God said to Joshua, would have been completely and utterly useless if Joshua did not do it. If Joshua had just said, well, thank you God for that rousing speech. It was really amazing. I felt shivers, oh Lord. As you said it, I, I had shivers. And, I, and see, Lord, look at me. I have goosebumps. Goosebumps. Look at me. Goosebumps. Uh, but I think I'm going to turn back now. Because uh, it's not me and you. I'm not doing it. I'm going home. In that moment, everything that God said will have not been of any import. Because he won't have been able to access any strength and courage whatsoever. Because he would have been disobedient. But we thank God that that was not the case. That instead, Joshua actually, indeed was obedience to the word of God. And if we look at 
each of the be strong and good courage, we would see that there is always, there are different, well, let's say subdivisions of strength and good courage and the applications of it in our walk with God. The first that we have here is strength and courage for the work of God. Strength and courage for the work of God. And I'll read verse 6 again. The Bible says, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So, God here was telling Joshua what he was going to do. And he was telling him that this is what I want you to do. What you are going to do, essentially your destiny, is to divide this promised land that you are going to go and conquer to all the tribes of Israel. It's going to be your responsibility. It's going to be your responsibility. And it would have been impossible without the strength and courage of God. Because like we mentioned earlier, the, the River Jordan was overflowing. There were enemies on the other side that were, you know, hostile towards the Israelites. The Israelites had naturally been a stubborn people. They're difficult to deal with. And so when you think to yourself that with these Israelites who stressed Moses as much as they did, we now listen to this, in quotes, this young man, in quotes. Because it's not as if, you know, it's not as if Joshua was... 25 or anything but like still in terms of who he was because if you remember um moses didn't start his ministry he was about 80 you know so for if nothing else at least you know that okay joshua is um moses is old papa and there's some there will be that oh let's respect his age but moses was not um joshua was not the same individual and therefore, you might have thought to yourself that these Israelites, they might be a lot more, you know, difficult to deal with. But Joshua, by his obedience to God, in terms of what he was going to do, was able to draw strength and courage. And that is the same parallel that we can draw towards the things in which we have been called to do today. Like, you might look at your life and you might look at the various things that God has spoken to you about, about what it is that you have to do for his kingdom. And what you would find is that until you actually step into it, there is not going to be any strength and courage available for you to do it. And that's important because for a lot of people, they put the carts before the horse, should I say, in that they hear from God. God tells them that, oh, you're going to do this great thing for me. And I'm like, oh, wow, thank you, God. Okay, so I'm just going to sit down here and, you know, I'm just going to wait for that courage to come. But that ginger, that spiritual ginger, I'm going, to, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Any day now, any second now. It's not so long. It's going to come. Any day now, any day now. And before you know what's going on, it's been 10 years. Or it's been 20 years and you've not done anything. And someone asks you, how about that great thing that, you know, God was going to do through you? Eh, still going to do it. I'm just, just waiting. I'm just waiting. Brothers, brothers and sisters, you wait in vain, or Because the strength and courage to do will never come until you actually step into it. Until you actually step into it. You know? And recently, God, I had a leading from God to, you know, start to to be that guy that carried the megaphone and was preaching on the street. And, you know, maybe everyone here doesn't know me very well, but if you do, you would know that I'm not particularly fond of that kind of life, shall I say. I'm not someone who enjoys, you know, just 
going out and talking to people. I always found, I always considered myself to be timid or shy, so to speak. And it's not a good trait in any way, shape, or form. But it was one I had, and I used to, you know, just struggle. Like, okay, let me just get through. And I remember the first time I had that inkling in my heart, I was like, nah, you're joking, right? It's not, it's not me. That's not possible, you know? And it, it can't, it can't be. And uh, because I was thinking to myself, ah, that's me that I used to, those times I used to think to myself, ah, this guy, now what for you? Chill now. Like, you know those guys that you find with speakers at the bus stops or when you enter a bus and someone stands up and he wants to preach and everything. I mean, maybe you guys were a lot more receptive to it, but I was a bit more of the... Mm. And I was, I was one of those people that would be like, okay, respect what you're saying, but now is the time for to listen to some music on my earphones or listen to something on my earphones and, you know, I block it out. And here, here I was being told that, oh yeah, you, go and do it too. And here's the thing. The first morning I went out to do this thing, I, I paced on the spot for almost 10 minutes, unable to bring that megaphone to my mouth, open my mouth and say, good morning, and, you know, praise the Lord, and whatever it is, or however it is you start. 10 minutes I was pacing, left and right. If I was waiting for that courage, it did not come. It didn't come. I didn't have it. And then I put the megaphone to my mouth, and I opened my mouth to speak. And there I was for the next 20 to 30 minutes, speaking, 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 speaking. And I was not scared. I was not scared. The only time that my heart trembled small was because I was saying this in front of a building that was full of malams and Muslims and everything, and one of them came towards me, and I was a bit of like, I hope this guy doesn't just want to like stab me in the side as he passes me or something. But the reason I illustrated that point, because it wasn't a point I even thought I would be illustrating or talking about right now, is because I think it's necessary for us to understand that these things happen in our lives. God tells us to do certain things, and it's okay to be mortified by it. It's okay. It's okay that you're like, God, I'm obeying you, but Lord, I'm terrified. It's okay for us to, whatever it is, it's okay for you if, if when God tells you that give that money that you were perhaps planning to use for something that, as far as you're concerned, was a necessity. Not a want, a need, an actual need. And then you're being told, you're being moved by the Spirit of God, do this with that money. It's okay for you to, for there to be a little fear. That's ha. Ah. But we should obey. Because the moment we do, we can always go back to what God has said here in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, where he says again, I will be with thee, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Because that God not failing you and forsaking you is predicated on our obedience. So it is when we obey that our strength and courage to do that God's work will come. So this is an encouragement for us. If there's anything that has been in our hearts, we should realize that, you know, if you're waiting for the courage, it's not going to come. And God is not expecting you to do this thing from a place of perfection. God is not expecting everything to be set, you know, before you get started. 
God is not expecting you to start that fellowship, but when you start that fellowship, it's, it's first because you've already gotten all the couches that you're going to arrange. You've already gotten the perfect refreshments. You've bought, you've bought the perfect coffee for everyone to drink and all of that kind of stuff. is is not like that. It's the obedience. The first that we trust in God, that God, you're the one that said this and I because I trust in you. And then the obedience. And from there, the courage and the strength will come to do that thing. The second instance that we find here is strength and courage to follow the commandments of God. And for that, we can look at verse 7, which says that, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithsoever thou goest. Here again, we find that strength and courage is available for all of us as long as we obey. But this is in fact, this is pointed more towards the word of God. And that is why verse 8 then goes on to say that this book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth. Because the law of Moses that he was talking about here was the word. That was the word that they all had that time. So God was telling him that this word, to obey the things that are inside, as you obey them, you will have strength and courage. There will be strength and courage to continue on that path. And that's important because there's another thing that we need to be worried of. And that is doing the things of God with the hand of flesh. And what I mean by that is, yes, I've mentioned before that without the courage of God, we can't do what it is that God has sent us to do. And part of the reason for that is because we need to follow what God has said to complete perfection. You know, I, I've mentioned, this, I think I've giving the example on several occasions of the story in the Old Testament of the man who tried to hold on to the ark of God and was struck dead because of it. And uh, if you had to think of that passage, you always think to yourself that God was really mean there. But the reality was the fact that it was because they had already violated something. They were carrying the ark of covenant in a way that it wasn't supposed to be carried. Meaning that God is very specific about the things that he wants us to do. The job that he has sent you to carry out, there is a way he wants you to carry it out. And without strength and courage, sometimes it's difficult to do it. Because sometimes God tells us to do something and we're excited, we receive it with gladness, and we set out to do it. We set out to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing because God has commanded me to do it. But then, in the doing of it, we start to take shortcuts. We start to do things a little differently. So imagine for an instance that, you know, in the book of Acts chapter 13, we see that the Holy Spirit called um, Paul and Barnabas for service. And a couple of chapters later, I believe chapter 16, the Bible tells us that they wanted to sail into Asia and that the Holy Spirit restrained them. And instead, there was a vision from a man in Macedonia who said, come and help us. And then Paul went to Macedonia. Imagine for a second that Paul had resisted the Holy Spirit and said, you know what, I'm doing God's work. Let me go to Asia because, you know, we are, we are being zealous for the Lord. His love ended in, in tears for him because it is important to do the will of God, but not just do the will of God. We should do the will of God in the way of God, by the means of God. Is it God's will that we preach the gospel? Yes. However, if we then preach 
a um, if you preach a zobo gospel, you know, if you preach a gospel that has a lot of sugar and cream in it, then we are doing the work of God in quotes, but we're not doing it the way God wants it because there is a content to the gospel that God wants. And you would see that doing the will of God the right way requires courage because it doesn't require any strength and courage to go to someone and say, hey, friend, Jesus loves you. Or, you know, sometimes I used to see, uh, I, I've seen, a, I saw a video, I can't remember how long ago, it's been a while, whereby, you know, someone was standing somewhere and was, um, you know, come here if you need a hug, you know, and the person will come and you hug whoever it is, and people will be like, man, that was so helpful, I needed that upliftment in my life, and so on and so forth, and it's a good thing, but there is no, there's no danger there, you're just hugging people and everybody loves it, it's a nice thing. There is no difficulty in telling people that, oh, God loves you, yeah, Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for you, he died for your sin, and he loves you so much, he loves you so much. But there's a lot of strength and courage necessary to tell people that what you are doing right now is wrong. Christ died, he rose again, and he's coming again. And if you are the way you are, he won't take you. That's difficult. Because the person tells you, are you trying to say I'm a bad person? Well, yeah. <laughs> and it's hard. But at the same time, it's also the will of God. It's, what, it's what's in the word of God. Following the, God's will. And we only derive strength and courage for this thing by reading God's word. As we continue to read the word of God and we obey what we find inside of it, we would find the strength and the, and the courage that God would give to us by himself to carry out these things. And to do that work. The third point we have here is strength and courage for God's backing. And for that, I would say that strength and that's um, verse that's uh, verse nine, which says, "Have I not commanded thee be strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest." And for that, we must realize that. There is strength and courage to be derived from trusting in the promises of God. In the promises of God. Because this, this be strong and of good courage is God reminding Joshua that I said I was going to be with you and I will be with you. And we derive courage from that because God is indeed with us as long as we are walking in his will. There is nothing to fear for a believer that is walking in God's will. As long as we are walking in God's will, even in times of darkness, even in times of lack, even in times of difficulty, even in times of discouragement, we can be sure that God is always with us. Why? Because we are walking in obedience to him and trusting in his word that he's there with us. But there is another be strong and of good courage that we have that is written here. And that is from chapter 1, verse 18, where this time it was not from God, but it was from the people, the Israelites. He said, Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandments, and will not hearken unto thy words, in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. And for this final bit of strength and courage, this is where we talk about followers for a little bit. The fact that they are leaders automatically means that they must be followers. 
Because leaders do not exist in a vacuum. Leaders do not exist in thin air. Anyone who says, I am the king, and does not have any subjects, is not a king. Be, true or false? Or if someone came to you and said, ah, I'm a, I'm a king. <laughs> you know, I'm a king, I'm a king. And king over what? What are you kinging over? Oh, I'm a leader. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a thought leader, uh, first, intellectual, sexual, all of those kind of things. And, but what are you leader of? That means they must be followers. But then, if they are followers, then it means that for you to lead those people, you must derive strength and courage from them also. And we find that here, because the people endorsed Joshua. And that endorsement was something that brought him strength and courage. And this is one of the things that a good follower should do. And a good follower is, provides his leader with strength and courage by their obedience. By their obedience. Because you'll find here, what they said is that we will obey you. Just be strong and of good courage. We will follow you as we followed Moses. Just be strong and of good courage. Because that's necessary. It's necessary because it's necessary for a leader to be able to walk in front and not have to look back every two seconds to see if people are still following him. To be confident in the fact that the people who are behind me are following him. And as followers, we have a responsibility because while we are leaders, we are usually also followers. There's usually a dual personality of this thing over almost everybody. You're usually leader somewhere, but you also find that you're also follower somewhere else. Ultimately, we're all followers of Jesus. So no matter how much of a leader you are, you're a follower of Jesus. And one of the things that would bring any, of, any such person strength and courage is the obedience of the people. So if you're following a God-fearing minister, a God-fearing leader, someone who is walking in the footsteps of God, because again, you must also realize that that is why the Israelites were following him. They weren't following him simply because Joshua was super charismatic. No, it was because it was very clear that this person is has been blessed by God and is walking in the footsteps that God has laid out for him. And with that, people will be able to obey. And when they do, it brings strength and courage. In conclusion, I will just quickly talk about a passage of scripture that we find here, which is verse, from verse 12. It says, And to the Rubenites, and to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest and had given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. Unto the Lord had given your brethren rest as he had given you, and they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God had given them. Then ye shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side, Jordan, towards the sun rising. This is an important um, passage of scripture because it teaches us something. It teaches us that this work of God that we embark on is a never-ending one. It's one that doesn't end until the the end of this age. The reason I say so is that we can take a lesson from this story. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 3, verse 18 to 20, one of the things that was spoken is that the Reubenites and the Gadites 
and the half-tribe of Manasseh were like, they're not crossing the Jordan. So the land that was allotted to them was on the other side of the Jordan. So for all intents and purposes, they had already entered their own land. They had already occupied it. They were already sorted. They already rested. But, you see, Moses and then Joshua told them that it's not enough for you to be settled. That this thing is a collective deliverance. And because it's a collective deliverance, then you also must go out there and help your brothers and sisters. Go out there to also help them fight their battle. Go and fight Jericho. Go and fight Ai. Go and fight the Amorites. Go and fight all of these people who are standing against them. Because it is a shared inheritance. I'll quickly read from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, from verse 12 to 14, where the Bible tells us, Not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here was saying that he doesn't think to himself that he has, he's, he's, all, he's all done. There's always more to do. And this is important because in our lives, as God, especially for us here, that as God is delivering you, lifting you up, there's a tendency for complacency for resting and saying that, well, I've been delivered. Because for some people, their desperation stems from the fact that they are still fighting their own battles, like they're fighting for themselves, fighting for their future, fighting for their family, trying to just make it, ah, me, 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 how do I get out of this? God, deliver me. And then when God delivers you, and God brings you out of poverty, and God brings you out of sickness, God brings you out of or, uh, oppression, or anything that you might be facing, He's not doing it so that you can just chill. When God delivered the land onto the Reubenites and the Gadites, he didn't give it to them so that they would just chill. He gave it to them so that as they had it, they would still then go forth and help their fellow brothers and sisters, the Israelites. And it's the same way for us in that even as the Lord has delivered you, even as the Lord has had mercy on you, has saved you, has gotten you out of your problems, has gotten you out of the things that have been oppressing you and stressing you out. It is to also stretch forth a hand to help the brothers and sisters all around the world today who are also in this problem. Because the Bible tells us that it is not God's will that any man should perish. Which means that the perishing of any individual is not something that God is looking for or looking is gleeful about. Which means that ideally, the ideal situation is that every single one of us is saved and every single one of us is brought into the kingdom of God and every single one of us experiences deliverance. And so as Christians, even as God continues to elevate us and lift us and help us and deliver us, we also cannot rest on our laurels. We must continue the work because we want them too to inherit their own land to inherit their own inheritance, what God has also put forth for them. The Christian walk is not a selfish walk. And if we live, if we are Christians out of selfishness, then we are not really Christians. I mean, the Lord help us in Jesus' name.